The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. So good morning again. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Reverend Carol, and I'm an associate minister here at Mile High Church and also the director of operations. And I'm delighted to be here this morning because I want to talk about what to do when you don't know what to do. (laughs) Not only do I love the alliteration of that title, but I think we've all been in that spot where we've been in situations where we haven't known what to do. And we have all this information coming into us constantly that we're faced with decisions that might seem challenging or daunting or even paralyzing. And as I thought about this, I realized that I have some very specific tools that I turn to when I don't know what to do. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to begin this morning uh, by sharing an experience that I had about 16 years ago, shortly after I moved here to Colorado. I had just bought a cute little two-door, four-wheel drive Jeep Wrangler. And there's some Jeep, Jeep owner over there. <laughs> and uh, my wife, Tracy, and I thought it would be an awesome idea to take a road trip to Ure and do some four-wheel driving, some off-roading. And so we head up on this trail outside of Ure called Yankee Boy Basin Road. <laughs> you already know about this road. And it starts getting narrower and narrower and steeper and steeper, and I have a picture of a certain bend in the road, right there is where I should have said, you know what? This probably isn't such a good idea. Maybe we ought to turn around. And as you can see, there's no place to turn around. So what I realize now that I didn't know then is that four-wheel drive roads are characterized one to five, one being easy and five being very technically difficult. And for fives, you really need some extra gear in your Jeep, like winches and chains, and you need a certain level of expertise in your driving. (laughs) This was a (laughs) 4.5. And I am really terrified of heights. So I don't know why I thought that this was a good idea. (laughs) But Yankee Boy Basin is the waterfall that's on the cover of the Coors beer can. And so I think that we thought, oh, this is going to be such a great quintessential Colorado experience. (laughs) So we naively continued up this very narrow road. After about a half an hour of white-knuckle driving, we got to a spot where I was absolutely paralyzed with fear. I couldn't go forward, and I couldn't go back, and I absolutely did not know what to do. I came to a full stop, I put the car in park, and I was just shaking. And I was stuck in indecision, literally not knowing what to do. The only thing that I knew to do in that moment was just to close my eyes and go within. And so I just took a deep breath, and both Tracy and I, we just stopped all external thoughts, 
and we went within. What I remember about that moment is that I knew that I needed to rely on something larger than myself to guide me in that moment or we might go right over the edge. And with each breath, more clarity and more calmness came over me. And it took some time, but I was finally able to make the decision to move forward. And we ended up negotiating the rest of the trail and arrived at Yankee Boy Basin. And here I am today, so obviously we managed to make it all the way back. But I think this is a great illustration of what to do when you don't know what to do. And I'm sure we all experience many moments of not knowing what to do. Perhaps a a personal challenge or it's a situation at work, a family crisis. Our moments of indecision might come out of fear, not enough information to make a decision, procrastination at work, uncomfortableness in relationships. There may be many reasons why we don't know what to do in any given moment. But there's always a source within us that does know. And one of the things I love about our science of mind teaching is that it gives us spiritual tools that can uplift and empower our lives. And so when we don't know what to do, we can turn to what I call are the three P's. Being present, the power of prayer, and the presence of that is always around us. The first P is being present, and we might also call this mindfulness. Being fully present to the moment. We go about our days so busy with so much information coming in, often racing from one thing to the next or navigating really impossibly full to-do lists, that we forget to slow down and be present to what is right in front of us. We just forget to breathe, don't we? Yes, there might be crisis challenges that we have to face that require an immediate decision, but more often than not, we simply forget to breathe. To close our eyes and surrender to the moment and just take a few minutes to be centered in that silence. The more we can practice being present, the more we enlarge our bandwidth to that availability of the wisdom and the answers that are always flowing to us. There's a great story about a young man who on a cold January morning in 2007 stood in a metro station in Washington, D.C. playing his violin. He played about six beautiful pieces of classical music during rush hour. Thousands of people rushed by him getting to work and to their various appointments. And after playing for just a little while, one single man finally stopped for a few seconds to listen. But then he looked at his watch and he moved on. A few people paused to throw coins in his violin case. A three-year-old boy was mesmerized by his playing, but then his mother dragged him along. He ended up collecting about $32, and only six people momentarily stopped and listened to him. When he finished, after 45 minutes, no one applauded him or gave him any recognition at all. 
Now, the interesting part of this story is that this wasn't a struggling or itinerant musician. This young man was Joshua Bell, who's one of the finest violinists in the world, playing some of the most complicated pieces of classical music on a $3.5 million Stradivarius violin. (laughs) He had just played the evening before for the Boston Symphony Orchestra at a sold-out concert with tickets going at over $100. He was helping the Washington Post conduct an experiment about people's social priorities and perceptions. This story is a great reminder to stop and be truly present, to take a moment and appreciate the beauty and the wonder that is always all around us. I think sometimes we get so caught up in the news and social media and what's going on in our world that we really forget what an incredibly marvelous world that we do live in. I know that when I can remind myself to slow down and marvel at the world, I find myself then more quickly able to always come to that space within me where I know that the solutions and the wisdom are always available. The second P is prayer. Last month, Dr. Michelle gave a brilliant and powerful talk on the power of prayer and the creativity that it engenders in our lives. It's really interesting to me to note that the root word of prayer comes from Sanskrit, and it's pal-al. And the literal translation of that means to be wonderfully made. Once we understand prayer from this aspect, from this vantage point, I think an entirely new horizon opens up to us on how we can incorporate prayer into our lives. From a place of celebrating how wonderful we are and what a part of the divine flow we are and how connected we are to everyone else. And so when we're in a situation where we don't know what to do, We can always turn to prayer. And I'm not talking here about the kind of prayer that begs or cajoles God into doing something that we need God to do for us. What we believe in our teaching is that there's no need to beg God for anything because we have access to everything that God is. And so prayer becomes the way to express our thanks for all of life's blessings that are expressing in us currently and those that are flowing to us. We call this affirmative prayer because it acknowledges the truth that God is present within us and in every situation and in every person. And therefore, we already contain this unlimited potential that all things are possible. Affirmative prayer is a form of prayer that is focused on the positive outcome rather than a negative situation. And so, for example, a person who is experiencing an illness of some kind might have an affirmative prayer stating the desired intention as if it has already happened, this desired intention of well-being and wholeness rather than identifying the illness 
and asking God to remove it. The, the indigenous people of Australia have a beautiful creation story that they call dream time. This was a very ancient time before the continent of Australia came into form and these huge, powerful, ancient beings roamed the continent of Australia, bringing all the rivers and the trees and the rocks and the forests into being. And the red ochre that's found deep within the caves of Australia is said to have been the blood of these ancient ancestral beings. And the Australians would dig this sacred red ochre out of the caves and they'd paint it on rock surfaces or apply it to their skin to capture the essence of these primordial ancestors. But before you were allowed to access and dig this red ochre, you had to follow a ritual path of these ancestral animals and they called this walking the song line. We'll hunt wrote an incredible book called Underground in which he describes these song lines as paths marking the trail of a dreamtime ancestor as they moved across the primordial continent, bringing the land into existence. Thousands of these song lines crisscross the continent of Australia and in a way that's really beyond our Western black and white time and space delineation these song lines are physical paths, and at the same time, they're stories which recount sacred ancestral journeys. It would be like if the Bible or any sacred text wasn't a book, but it was an actual collection of paths upon the earth. And instead of reading them, we walked their length, singing out the story, the rhythm and cadence of our walking matching the rhythm and the pace of the story. This seemed so beautiful to me, and I felt that there was a correlation to prayer. What if we walked our prayers in this manner, and we became the living embodiment of our prayers, not just through our words, but through our feelings and our actions and how we lived our lives? So our prayer would become our song line. In this way, prayer for us would become this ongoing self-realization and self-expansion. It would become an opportunity to discover ourselves as unique individual elements in this universe with all of that in the universe within us. And in this, there is a profound knowingness that all the answers are available to us when we don't know what to do. I think one of the beautiful aspects of prayer and cultivating a prayerful life is that it creates a powerful trust in the universe that we are constantly and always being supported and guided. By opening our hearts and minds to the wisdom that's already there, and by expressing our willingness to let this sacred presence express as us and through us, then we take a big step in activating a prayer life that we can call upon. Ernest Holmes said, the ever availability of good through the use of our mind means added wisdom for anything and everything we undertake. 
every person can prove the proposition for themselves, and the Almighty has already given them the power. We shall never know that it actually works until we try it. But once we have proved it, there is added to our lives and our experiences a something which will so change us that we shall never again be the same. Our whole reaction to life will forever be different. We shall have made one definite step in the spiritual evolution of our soul. I love that profound wisdom of Ernest Holmes. And I think that the power of prayer and our science of mind treatment is the feeling that we underlie it with. I believe it's important to move beyond the words, beyond the thoughts, and into that vaster realm of spirit. And it is in this absolute stillness that we simply rest in the exquisite sense of the power of prayer and the presence of God, and we feel the feelings of the prayer. A great example of this is a story told by Greg Braden, who's most famous for bridging the the gap between science and spirituality. And he tells a story about a time when the American Southwest was experiencing a devastating drought. A Native American friend of his called him up and said he was going to go out to the high desert of New Mexico to pray for rain. And he asked Greg if he wanted to come. And so they hiked for miles and miles until they reached this ancient stone circle out in the middle of the desert. And Greg's friend removed his shoes and he stepped barefoot into the center of this circle. He honored all his ancestors. He honored the four directions. And then he put his hands in a prayer position for what seemed like just a few minutes. And then he turned around to Greg and he said, I'm hungry. Let's go get a bite to eat. And Greg said, wait a minute. I thought you were going to pray for rain. And his friend said to him, no, because if we prayed for rain, rain could never happen. The moment you pray for something to occur, you acknowledge that it doesn't exist in that moment. He said, when I closed my eyes, I felt the rain. I began to feel the feeling of what it's like to have rain pouring on my face, drenching me, having rain pour all over me. I smelled the rain falling off our earthen Pueblo buildings. And I felt my naked feet in so much mud that was caused by all that rain. And he said, in that way, I opened the door to the possibility to bring rain into our world. Greg said later that afternoon, as they watched the weather maps, they saw the high-pressure system dip down from Utah and Colorado into New Mexico. And he said it rained all night and all the next day, and it filled that valley with much-needed rain. The power of prayer. This is a spiritual tool that is always available to us. The third P that I want to talk about is presence. Whether we realize it or accept it or really even want to know it, we are part of something so much larger 
than our individual selves. Every thought we think, every action we take, every word we speak affects us and the people around us on some level and in some manner. There is this infinite consciousness and presence that we can tap into when we don't know what to do. I want to share with you uh, something that really, really touched my heart. And it's a story about this connectivity and oneness that we share within this larger presence and consciousness. Lawrence Anthony was a South African conservationist, and he was called the Elephant Whisperer. Throughout his career, he risked his life to preserve elephants and their habitats from human atrocities. He devoted his life to living in the African bush and working with elephants. These elephants were being killed not only by poachers, but by villagers whose crops were being trampled and ruined. So Lawrence started working with a particular herd of elephants that had been captured and fenced in. And he developed a process of using certain words and gestures to communicate with these elephants to teach them the difference between acceptable and unacceptable behavior. He worked with the matriarch of this elephant tribe who was called Nana, and eventually Lawrence was able to allow the herd to roam around the reserve freely. His work resulted in a best-selling book called The Elephant Whisperer, My Life with the Herd in the African Wild, which was published in 2009. Anthony and his wife, Francois, became so close to the elephants that occasionally they'd try to get into his house and set up camp in his living room, and they'd have to just gently usher them out. And as this herd grew and Anthony's game reserve became more popular, he feared for this herd's safety. And so he deliberately put them back into the wild and had the elephants keep their distance, refusing to allow them to visit his home for the last 15 months of his life. Tragically, Anthony died of a heart attack. And several days later, as if out of nowhere, a herd of 20 elephants arrived at his doorstep, led by Nana and another matriarch. Several wild herds had joined together, and they'd walked over 12 miles to make the journey to Lawrence's home. The family and others who photographed the elephants making their way to the house were amazed at the sight of the elephants, not only because they somehow knew about Lawrence Anthony's death, but they'd been able to remember a route that they hadn't taken for more than a year and a half. But perhaps the most astonishing aspect of this funeral procession was its demeanor. This is a picture that one of the family members took. As soon as Lawrence died, the elephant started a two-day slow and solemn single-file procession from their wild habitat to his home. And after silently circling his home for two days and two nights, they turned to make the slow journey home. I find this story extraordinary because how did this herd at a 12-mile distance know that Lawrence Anthony had died? And I love this story 
because it seems to be evidence that there is something greater than we are that connects us all. And that there is this consciousness that lies beyond our senses that is accessible to all creatures, including us humans, if we can be present to it. It's a powerful demonstration of an infinite presence and the fact that love speaks a language that is beyond time, beyond space, and beyond species. There is a field of consciousness that is so vast and so connective, it is always available to support and guide us. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? Well, we can practice the spiritual tools of being present, of prayer, and of presence. Being present to the moment, slowing down and paying attention to the wisdom and guidance of life that is always available to us. We can practice prayer, and we can enlist a practitioner prayer partner to help us. We have almost 300 practitioners here at Mile High Church, and they became practitioners because they have this heartfelt desire to support us and this community in prayer. And finally, we can know and trust that there is a presence and a consciousness beyond our limited minds that connects us to all the vast wisdom and love of the universe. And, as importantly, to each other. Life is truly this amazing journey filled with experiences of self-discovery and deepening faith, I think. Like the indigenous Australians and And like the African elephants, we are all connected on this journey and we are all united in this beautiful sacred circle of life. And we can realize that there are always infinite and abundant blessings surrounding us and supporting us. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.